You're listening to the Assembly Call IU Podcast and Post Game Show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Activate your free Assembly Call membership today at assemblycall.com slash join. That's assemblycall.com slash join. That is how you're a champion. It really is. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to another victorious episode of the Assembly Call as tonight your Indiana Hoosiers win their opening round matchup in the Big Ten Tournament 95-73 to over the Iowa Hawkeyes in a game that frankly didn't feel that close. This is a game that didn't start out that great for Indiana as the Hoosiers fall down 11-6, to a little sloppy on defense, too many turnovers. The Hoosiers played better then in the next stretch in the first half and regained control before giving it back to Iowa with too many turnovers there at the end of the first half. But the second half, after a quick run by Iowa, was all Indiana. And this is the kind of performance that IU fans have been waiting to see all season long. A performance in the second half where the team limits turnovers and is patient and gets good shots and makes good shots, plays solid defense, plays as a team, This is how we've known that Indiana can play all year. We just haven't seen it outside of one to two minute stretches. And tonight, Indiana really put it together for about 15 minutes there in the second half. And it was as magnificent as these Hoosiers have looked pretty much all season. And we are here to break it all down for you tonight. I am your host, Jared Morris. I will be joined, as I always am, by Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips here on this episode of the Assembly Call IU Post Game Show. And let's begin how we begin every episode, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And I want to take you back to the start of the second half because the Hoosiers, again, they led 43 to 40 at halftime, had played okay, but then Iowa jumps right out and scores the first four points of the second half. And everybody's thinking, okay, here we go again. Hoosiers have a lead. They're in control there in the first half. Now Iowa's going to regain control. And what do we always think in the Big Ten tournament, right? Whatever bad can happen will happen. Well, Indiana needed something good to happen to put those thoughts away and to get some more good momentum going in the second half. And they did because the very next sequence, Thomas Bryant got a block shot. Josh Newkirk got the ball, pushed it, got it to James Blackman Jr. for a three. That put Indiana back ahead. And it was the first of many big plays for James Blackman Jr., who really had one of the best stretches of his Indiana career there over the first five, six minutes of the second half. Uh, I've got the numbers here. Blackman, uh, in that early part of the second half, had 12 points. He was three of three from downtown. Plus, it wasn't just scoring, as it often is with James, but he had two assists, two rebounds, one steal, all in that sequence. And he really put Indiana on his back during that stretch. And then it was like everybody else got their confidence and Indiana was off to the races because they outscored Iowa 9-8 to start the second half and then 15-6, 11-5, to just bludgeon the Hawkeyes in the second half and earn a big 22-point win. That certainly doesn't put them back in the NCAA tournament or anything like that, but it's at least the kind of win that kind of makes you stand up and take notice and say, hey, This team may not be done yet. That's certainly how they played tonight, and it was great to see. And James Blackman Jr. had a big part of that there early in the second half. So tonight's Banner Moment brought to us by our friends at Hoosier Proud, as it always is, an Indiana-based brand by Hoosiers for Hoosiers. Our friends at Hoosier Proud offer a line of T-shirts and accessories that are unmatched for anyone who wants a unique and stylish way to display their own pride in being a Hoosier. You can do that with Assembly Call Gear because our gear is sold by Hoosier Proud. And you can also go to their website and check out all of their really interesting and cool Indiana-based designs. They're all right there for you at HoosierProud.com. And when you use our promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, you receive 15% off your entire order, not just Assembly Call Gear, but any gear that they have at Hoosier Proud. So go check out HoosierProud.com, promo code ASSEMBLY today. All righty, let's make the extra pass, find the open man, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team. We start with Andy Bottoms and his Bottoms line brought to us by Bracketology.fm. 
you know, there's a lot of different places to go because so many things went right, which feels weird. We we've probably saved up a lot of good, uh, good comments from these other games where we could hardly think of anything good to say. But uh, I I think the defense in the second half was was outstanding. I mean, Iowa ends up with 33 points. They scored the last nine though, when it didn't really matter, and uh, the game was out of reach. And so, you know, for the better part of 20 minutes of basketball, IU gave up 24 points. Uh, Iowa had one offensive rebound in the second half, and IU out-rebounded them, I think, 19 to 10 uh, in total in the second half. So closed off possessions. That was an issue in the first half on those two free throws in particular. You know, they they really limited second chances. They were physical with Peter Jock and, and really helped to take him out of the game. And uh, I think you give a lot of credit to that. I got to a guy like Devonte Green, who was really good pressuring the ball. I thought Robert Johnson was uh, was excellent on Jock for the majority of the uh, of the game, and and some really big blocks. I think you had five blocks in the second half. Better help defense, just more active um, guys in stances and and doing things like that. And um, it's obviously fun to watch this team when they are shooting the ball as well as they did in the second half when they you know didn't miss a shot. I think they said for nine minutes or something like that, but. Um, you know, the difference to me was that they really focused on defense and you had guys that look like they cared defensively, which um, is not a great thing to be saying for one of the first times this season after, you know, 30 games. But um, there was a huge difference tonight. Even even Blackman, you know, you saw kind of get into uh, get into things defensively. And so, you know, if this team is going to make a run through the Big Ten tournament, that's going to need to continue. And uh, it's one of those cases, though, where, you know, sometimes you need that break between games. This is a case where, you know, let these guys get out there as soon as possible again. They've got a lot of confidence. They shot the ball well. Uh, and so if ever there was a time to turn around and have another game the next day, I think this would be it coming off of this performance for this team. So we just have to make sure in typical uh, Big Ten tournament fashion that nothing terrible happens between now and then. I joke with you before we started that the whole team would probably get like food poisoning or something between now and uh, Don't jinx now it. the Wisconsin game. But uh, hey, Andy, yeah. I'm just happy that the previously extinct animal didn't run on the court and eat only the <laughs> Indiana players. Because when you tweeted that, I was like, not out of the question, given our Big yep. Ten tournament history. We've seen I, crazier I things out. happen. I rule out nothing. I rule out nothing. Hey, how much fun is this? Like, can we just pause for a moment? Like, this is fun. And we haven't had a win like this, what, since Michigan State? Like, it's just fun to see the team play like this and play like they're having fun again. You're yeah, muted, yeah. Ryan. It's also fun when yeah. Ryan's muted. I, I yeah, well, That's my favorite part <laughs> of the show, actually. No, I would say that we haven't had a win like this since Illinois, and we didn't even get to do a show after that one because we were that's at right. the game. That's right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. All right, so let's go over now to uh, to Ryan and get his rant uh, brought to us by TheBigLead.com. Well, of course, I'm going to talk about the guy who I've been talking about for well over a year now, how great he is and how great he's going to be because I think he changed the momentum of the game. Uh, a guy who over the last two weeks looked like he hit the freshman wall at terminal velocity, uh, hadn't scored in two games, had 13 total points in the last four, went out, and it's Deron Davis, if you don't haven't picked up on who I'm saying, who I'm talking about, hit seven of seven shots from the field, 15 points, hit his free throw, uh, didn't really rebound much, but didn't really matter because everybody else seemed to be rebounding. Um, just a, a complete performance and a guy who I think as soon as he came in, changed the momentum of the game. Early on, Iowa was up. I think it was eleven to four after the first at the first media timeout, and then I think that's right. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly, but. Um, came in and I just felt like the game changed when he came in there. He played much better defense than we've seen from him lately. He's been moving his feet really slowly over the last few weeks. I think he's just tired from a long stretch of intense games. Um, but he just looked like the best player on the floor for long stretches of that game. And I would echo what, what Andy said about Devontae Green as well. I mean, I think both those guys came in, set the tone on both ends of the floor, and, and just took the team to another level. Um, Devontae just played incredibly confident. Uh, and, and I think that Davis did as well. And then you saw Curtis Jones looking as good as he's looked in months. I mean, legitimately in months. Um, not just because he hit two threes, but because of the, he attacked and he looked competent defensively. I don't know if it was the haircut or what, but the guy just looked like a different player. And and uh, you I like could how see you threw that in there so seriously, like it might have actually been. It might have been. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what else was it? 
I thought he was in the no. witness protection program, so maybe he just had to get a different look there for a I, while yeah. to, to kind of blend in. And now yeah, he's, he's getting hunted by somebody. No, I. But he just he he looked as soon as he stepped on the court, he looked like a different guy. It wasn't even you could tell as soon as he walked off the bench that whoa, Curtis Jones looks like he's involved and he's engaged. And props to Tom Cream for putting him in the game early. I mean, you know, that's a thing where I would have said, why why is he even in the game given how he's played recently? Uh, but I thought all three of those freshmen really contributed and really kept the momentum going and I think Deron Davis specifically just turned the game around I thought he was the best player in the game uh, for long stretches I thought he and Jawan Morgan were the difference makers in the game really because of what they gave on both ends of the floor I also think Robert Johnson coming out and shooting well to start the game was was a huge momentum builder but Deron Davis I mean you got a view of what that guy is going to be I mean how about the steal and the length of the court drive and it was his OG of, impression and sort of dunk because he you could tell by the end of the run he was a little tired and he just kind of got it uh, it's barely over the rim but he's got um, he's got an old man's game but it's a good he does one. and you know what I think if he's if he's not exhausted because he hadn't played so long in a single stretch which he hasn't done much this year uh, I think that's easy that's an easy dunk for him but it looked like he was like oh god I'm tired and he, he just barely got over the rim but also you saw he and Thomas Bryant play for long stretches in that first half and not look like it didn't work. It looked like it could work in those stretches. They missed a couple of assignments. Thomas Bryant missed a couple of rolls to the hoop on his guy. But I thought for the most part, they looked like they knew what they were doing and it looked like a competent tandem, which it hasn't looked like for long stretches of this year. So uh Props to Deron Davis. I thought it was his best game maybe of the season. Uh, I think it was his career high, and uh, I, I just thought that he was a difference maker and a game changer. What we thought he could be before the season. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. So people are asking me, like I said, so our family game plan, my daughter wore her new little Indiana dress today. It was the first time. And my wife, I, literally Indiana was like plus 40 while she was sitting on the couch with me tomorrow. Folks, it's not hard. My daughter will be wearing the dress. My wife will be on the couch again tomorrow. Whatever you did, whatever you thought, whatever you said, whatever you wore today, you do it tomorrow. When Indiana wins a Big Ten tournament game going away like this, you don't mess with it. You just keep doing whatever you were doing. Are we all in agreement on this? Yes, it's just I'm not up for debate. Leave, I'm afraid to leave my house, quite frankly. I'm not even I'd sure like NFL is. free agency to start over again tomorrow so yes. I can be working like crazy during the game and not yes. paying much attention. You know, everything again, everything again, folks. That is how we do it. Hey, by the way, I do want to make mention, you know, a lot of times when I'm watching the game and there's an odd substitution. I'll make note of it because I want to see how Indiana performs after that substitution. Sometimes they don't work out. Sometimes they do. You know, today it was 20 to 19. And Indiana came out of the second media timeout with Curtis Jones, Devontae Green, Deron Davis on the floor. And I thought it was a really curious decision to, you know, be in the lead. And then you put all three freshmen out there, especially with, you know, kind of how Curtis has played this year. I thought, OK, this is kind of an iffy choice by Indiana. And they proceeded to go on a 9-0 run right after that with Robert, Devontae, Curtis all hitting threes. So, you know, look. Kudos to Tom Crean for the decisions that he made tonight, you know, playing Curtis Jones and giving the freshman run when he did, because he clearly had a good feeling that these guys were going to be ready to play. And they were. And they supplemented uh, some really good play by the starters as well. I mean, it was a complete team effort. Um, but I just wanted to make note of that because we come on here and a lot of times we'll criticize some of those decisions. I think it's important when there's a curious one and it does work out that we make mention of that, too. All right, well, we're going to continue breaking down this fun, exciting Indiana game. It's something we haven't been able to say much this year, but we certainly can tonight as Indiana wins 95 to 73. Uh, they actually led there for a decent portion of that second half by about 30 points before Iowa kind of cut into the lead there late uh, with a late run. But just a terrific, terrific performance from Indiana. Uh, before we move on and talk more about this game, I do want to take a quick minute and tell you about our other sponsor, SeatGeek. So buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or NCAA tournament game that you may want to go to. And none of those older ticket sites want to change that. But SeatGeek is different. They've come along and created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets, no matter what you're going to buy or sell tickets for sports, music, anything. They are the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or concert because everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. So here's what you do, because listeners of the Assembly Call actually get a $20 rebate on your first ticket purchase. And the way that you get that is by downloading the SeatGeek app. It's free. You can get it on your iPhone or your Android device, or you can do this at the website. 
but go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code assembly today. You are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, uh, enjoying an exuberant postgame show here as Indiana wins 95 to 73 in the first round of the Big Ten tournament, or their first game of the Big Ten tournament, anyway, uh, over Iowa. So, Andy, let me just throw this out to you here. I mean, let's get this out of the way. We know that this win doesn't put Indiana back in, you know, the tournament. It probably doesn't even put them in the first four outline. But I have to think. Here's my take on this. Tell me if you agree. You know, without OG Ananobi, you know, you look at those wins against Kansas and North Carolina and the committee is going to say, OK, they won those games, but they didn't have OG. How important is a win like this over a potential tournament team by 22 or it's a really good performance late in the season for the committee to analyze what Indiana is now? Will that matter at all? Uh, I mean, it matters, uh, but I think it's one of those where it's easy to get kind of caught up in the moment of this was great. I mean, it's one game out of 30 or 30, however many they've played uh, at this point. So it, you know, it's one data point and it's an important one uh, for them, given, given how they played. I think if they can show the ability to string it together in, in multiple games, I mean, we've seen this team play good in stretches, um, you know, this season, but they haven't been able to sustain it and, and keep it up. So I think if they're able to do that and come out and play well, you know, tomorrow and, and get a win over Wisconsin, then things start to get a little bit more interesting and they probably move into that, you know, potential that first four out category, there um so it was necessary for sure to uh to get the win and impressive the way that they did it but um you know the committee attempts not to you know kind of overreact to the the recency of a, a really good game and uh and, you know take into account the times that this team you know didn't look very good uh for sure so but a, a positive and and you know illinois losing iowa losing uh is is helpful to any hopes that they have the Syracuse situation is going to be interesting to kind of watch over the next couple of days. And, um, you know, better to be still playing at this point and have a chance to improve your status than, than being there sitting there waiting and hoping, which certainly if IU is doing, they, you know, there wouldn't be, uh, any intrigue about what's going to happen, but you know, there is a chance to overtake people. So long as you can find a way to keep playing. Here's what I want to ask. I'm just going to jump in real quick. Cause we were talking about this today. How does Syracuse have a better resume than Indiana? Like I, I was looking at that. It just, it doesn't seem like they do. They don't, don't, but their coach whines louder than anybody else. Is that really it, Andy? I mean, can you make an argument? I mean, especially now that Indiana won this game. And, you know, if they lose to Wisconsin, that's a decent team you lose to. I'm sure it downgrades them, keeps them out. But how could Syracuse get in and Indiana not be in? The comparison of the resumes just doesn't seem to match up for me. I don't know. That's that's my take on it. Yeah, the, the challenge, Syracuse has a, a number of... It, they're kind of fighting against history, I think, is the way that I the way that I put it on Twitter. So on the one hand, they have the worst RPI. They would be the worst uh, RPI to get an at-large if they stay where they are now. Now, they they set the bar for what the worst is um, last year when they got in with one at, at 72. They're in the mid-80s right now. Um, they have only two road and neutral wins, which is... Uh, I think as Jerry Palm wrote, it was the would be the lowest total to get in, in in the data that he has, which goes back to 1994. And and to me, that even that is well outside the realm of what actually you know is relevant at this point. So they haven't done well there. What they do have is six top 50 wins, which the committee kind of rammed down everybody's throat last year, um, and a few really really top end wins, all of which obviously came at home with that that kind of road record. So um, it's a weird case because when you look at teams that have had you know that many top 50 wins, I've got data back to you know the last eight years. There's only one team that's gotten left out that's had at least six top 50 wins. So it's kind of um, it, it's a weird history type thing to to look at i don't know that theirs is necessarily better but iu certainly with the number of losses that they've taken at this point is problematic there's some other you know kind of historical numbers about teams with 14 losses and all that so uh it's it's certainly an interesting case and, and it really it just goes to show how i'm not going to say it's the weakest bubble but it is not hard at all to pick apart any of these teams that are right around the cut line I have one more question. I know Jared's dying to talk about Thomas Bryant, but let me... We just had a fun win. We're not going to let Syracuse hijack me, I know. Well, let, me, show. let me ask this, though. When was the last time a team beat two of the four number one seeds and didn't get into the tournament? I mean, is there any history of that ever off the top of your head? That's I, insane to me. 
Yeah, I did look back um, and see. I, I don't have this handy by any means, but I did look back and see just if how many teams have had. If there are teams that have had two top ten RPI wins that have gotten left out, and there were actually more than I thought there would be. Um, there was a Georgetown team that was well below five hundred in the league. They might be a, a decent comp for IU right now, quite frankly. Um, if I go back and look, they were there. I think maybe one of the BYU teams with. Um, with Jimmer Fredette or somebody like got in. It was, it was one of those, it, there was a mountain West team that fell in there. So there have been a few that have, uh, that have done that. I don't know whether it's been two number one seeds, but just in terms of looking at like, you know, top, top end of the RPI. All right. For more tournament talk, make sure that you check out bracketology.fm. No question, because Andy's doing a great job with that podcast. His bracket updates are coming out every day. So again, check out bracketology.fm because you'll see his bracket. Um, and we'll see, you know, where this can go for Indiana. But let's linger on this game because this was a fun one. We got to spend some time here. Ryan, I know that you need to bolt. Uh, maybe you can pop in, pop out uh, later, but you have to bolt right now. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts for us here before you leave? Uh, well, I can talk Thomas Bryant. I know that's what you want yeah, to talk, talk about. Well, now. and specifically, I want to talk defense because I thought, you know, Thomas was kind of up and down offensively. I think he was only three for eight, but five block shots really, I thought, played a pretty strong defensive game. His timing was outstanding in the post today uh, of getting his hand up and getting it between the ball and the rim and not getting it on the man. Uh, you know, and that, that's a really... That's a tough skill for a big man to learn, especially when he's been bigger than everybody his entire life. And, and it, you know, grown up, you know, five inches taller than people, he can just reach out and block a shot. But when you're playing guys who are taller and Iowa has some length, uh, he did a really good job. And, and he did it right on the first possession of the game, I believe, where he just got up and, and got his hand between the basket and the ball and, and rejected the ball. And, uh, you know, didn't go for the body, didn't go for a swipe or anything. He just put his hand in the way of the ball. I mean, it's that simple, and it sounds really simple, but the timing on it is really hard, and he just went right up and and, and got it. And, um, you know, I thought offensively he shared the ball really well. He had three assists, but I thought he moved the ball really well. I thought he faced double teams much better than he usually does and was much stronger. He stepped through them a few times and passed through them instead of just kicking it out to the guy who gave him the ball. Um I thought IU struggled at times, particularly in the first half, to get the ball into the post. Um, and you saw a lot of not necessarily turnovers, but deflected passes when they throw it in there. Um, so it was tough for him to get it going. But he ran the floor. He didn't quit. Uh, made five out of six free throws. You know, only had two rebounds, which is probably the most shocking stat of the game for me. But other guys stepped up. Blackman had eight. Morgan had eight. Johnson had six. So it didn't really matter. As long as everybody's rebounding, that's not a glaring problem. But I thought he was active. I thought he was engaged. And I thought he was trying to lead. I thought he was trying to get people organized. He screwed up a couple times defensively, and they highlighted it on the you know in game a couple times where he missed guys cutting through the lane and, and didn't step up and help um, but for the most part I thought it was a really nice game from Thomas one that proved again that a guy with that kind of size this is why you recruit size even if he's not scoring a ton of points he can affect the game just by being big on defense I mean that was the problem with the team two years ago they didn't have that guy who could step up and play defense in the middle and just affect shots it doesn't even matter if you block him but every time a guard goes down the lane he should know he has to shoot over a 610 guy who can block his shot and and that kind of influence on a game is what Thomas can have even when he's not having a great offensive night and I think it was good that he kind of focused on that he sort of anchored himself defensively he was around the ball a lot he and Juwan Morgan both were just in there affecting shots being active and and being engaged defensively and if they do that they like I said they don't even have to block shots to make a difference they can just be there and harass shooters and make put it in the back of guys minds that they have to score over somebody instead of just getting a free path to the rim yeah and Ryan real quick before you leave some really quality humor in our chat this is from our buddy Gerb uh, Jared, in light of the Chargers leaving for LA, using Bolt to Ryan is such an ouch moment. It's not fair, man. It's not cool. It's, to it's be fair, fair, but it is funny. Fair, Ryan, By the way, that created, word on, on his own in the chat saying that he needed to leave. So uh, I, I feel like that's okay. By the way, I'm, I'm just going to say free agency is open in the NFL. I am open to bids from teams to be a fan. Clearly, the Chargers thing is over. Uh, I'm open to bids, so just send them my way if you, if you got uh, ideas or want me to be a part of your fan base, and I'll I'll consider my options and and make a decision uh, what's best for my family at some point. Very nice. Okay, we appreciate that. Uh, are you going to be joining us tomorrow for the show? Uh, I I will be on tomorrow. Uh, just you I, can't miss a Wisconsin show. No, of I mean, there's not. just no I, way. No. No, I will be here tomorrow, and I'll be there for the radio show as well. Um, so 
Uh, yeah, I just got a bolt because it's the first day of NFL free agency and work is a little crazy. Okay, you go. Fun win for the Hoosiers. Yep, we will keep breaking it down here on the assembly call. I'm Jared Morris, Andy Bottoms here with me. Um, you know, Andy, Ryan mentioned Juwan Morgan, and I thought it was an interesting game for Juwan because I thought he played really well. You know, he did have six turnovers, which is a blemish on his stat line, but he made some beautiful basket cuts. And actually, the the early leader in the clubhouse for uh, the banner moment was back in the first half. It was 36-31. Uh, and Juwan had just a beautiful basket cut, and Deron Davis found him. It, it was just a beautiful pass. Juwan ended up getting an and one. He missed the free throw, but it put Indiana up seven. But he did that a couple times. We're just, you know, and that's something we didn't see from Indiana there for a while, and we're starting to see it more now. Guys working the baseline. You know, what Troy Williams and Will Sheehy used to do with such effectiveness in this offense, we're seeing McSwain do it, and we're seeing Juwan do it, and obviously Juwan is better at finishing when he does it, but it's been really nice to see that element back in Indiana's repertoire again. And, you know, look, I, I don't think that we can understate how important it is for Indiana to have a healthy Juwan Morgan because, you know, and, and we've poo-pooed the injury excuse in a sense, not that it hasn't been important, but just that it hasn't been the only explanation, right? I mean, turnovers and, and late game execution, all the other problems, but it certainly has been a reason. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that Indiana has won three out of their last four games when they've gotten some guys healthy and you've had Juwan Morgan back more like himself and Blackman is a little bit more recovered. This looks like a fresher, healthier team right now. And especially with Juwan, it's really showing up in his play. Yeah, I thought he there was, you know, he went out early in the second half and Freddie McSwain came in from just kind of looking at lineup stuff here from the 1722 mark to the 1138 mark. So roughly six minutes uh, of that. And Morgan came out and he came back in and he made a couple really big plays right away there. I, I also remember the play that you mentioned in the first half where, you know, cutting off the ball, he's really the guy on this team that either is most comfortable doing that, is best at doing that, whatever you want to say, but he he seems to have the best knack for when and where to cut uh and and hopefully that becomes contagious as other guys try to uh you know try to work through that but i thought he came in then he had a couple really big defensive plays where i think he grabbed an offensive rebound then uh had one of those blocks had another block where he just basically snatched the ball out of the guy's hand uh underneath the basket and uh and, and really you start to see a little bit of that athleticism guarded peter jock a few times and while didn't always fare well uh in doing so i i thought he you know, just the the willingness uh, to really try to get up into him showed that he was, you know, confident in his ability to move laterally, which had been a big problem for him as he as he moved forward. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it, for a team that doesn't have OG Ananobi, you know, we look to can Juwan Morgan step up and start to play a bigger role when he went down. Uh, the injuries have prevented that to a certain extent, but I think he's shown these last handful of games just how important he can be. And, and just to, you know, circle back on Thomas Bryant uh, for a minute, uh, I certainly thought, you know, running the floor, he was a guy both on offense and defense. There was a play, I think the beginning of the second half, I, you didn't balance the floor very well. And he was sprinting back and tried to make a play. Didn't make it, but just from a hustle standpoint, played really well, uh, had a number of other big hustle plays. And there were times that they missed him uh, getting down the court, but he was really active um, and did a terrific job of running the floor uh, throughout the game and, and got, got himself some easy baskets as a result. And as far as the rebounding goes, guards had... 24 of IU's 38 rebounds uh, between the five guards that played, which, um, you know, we've heard Tom Crean talk about guard rebounding a lot, and that's why you see a guy like Morgan maybe doesn't have, or a guy like Bryant um, may not have as many. I, I thought he did a good job and, and really um, got Tyler Cook into foul trouble, who had given him and IU in general a lot of trouble in that first matchup. And, and so um, when they went into him, they were able to get him into foul trouble. So even if that didn't result in uh, points right away, it took a, a key weapon off the floor for Iowa. So I thought a really good all-around game from, from Bryant for sure. Someone else I want to talk about is Josh Newkirk, who I thought had an interesting game. You know, he got in really early foul trouble, picked up two fouls early. And when he left is is basically when Indiana started to play better in the first half. And I'm not saying that that was necessarily the reason why, but the two uh, the two things coincided. And, you know, he picked up another foul uh, uh relatively early in the second half and had to leave again, too. And there's a play that he made before that, though that I want to point out because it's one of those little things, but I thought it set the tone. So if you remember back early in the first half, and this comes after uh, the play where Bryant got the block and then, you know, Newkirk got the ball, pushed it up and got it to Blackman for the three that I mentioned as the banner moment, but a possession or two later, there was a rebound that Newkirk got. And it was a really tough rebound where he basically got, cr he 
knocked to the floor by two Iowa guys, but grabbed the rebound in between them. And it led to a transition bucket for Bryant. And this, again, is you know right after Iowa had regained momentum to start the second half. And Indiana was grabbing it back. And I thought the toughness that Newkirk showed and just his willingness to get down and dirty and get that rebound, it was indicative of the mentality that Indiana had coming out in the second half. And it was really nice to see one of those things that's easy to miss, but I thought was a really important play. And the kind of things that sometimes Josh does that go unnoticed and, and especially can go unnoticed when he's maybe having a poor shooting night or turning the ball over a little bit too much. But he's made tough plays for Indiana all season long. Well, I've got a note on my stat sheet, you know, or on my note sheet, because I, you know, had remembered in the run Indiana went on when he went out in the first half. And it was 67 to 54 when he came back in. So he went out. Indiana went on another run in the second half. He comes back in, you know, and I've got a note, you know, do we give up the lead again? And to Newkirk's credit, absolutely not. And he actually hit two threes in about the next two, three minutes that really pushed the lead out because you had Devontae Green with those two straight possessions where he hit that tough runner in the lane and then hit the dribble off the, uh, uh, or the three off a dribble. That put Indiana up 18. And then Newkirk drained a couple of threes after that. And that was where Indiana just blew the game wide open. And you can say that those buckets, you know, weren't as big as Indiana was already up 13. But you, I, and every other Indiana fan knows that even when it was 67-54, you were sitting there wondering, all right, how is Indiana going to blow this? What kind of craziness does the Big Ten tournament have in store for us right now? So for Indiana to push that up to 20-25, to where even the Big Ten tournament couldn't screw us enough to give up the lead, that was really important. And I thought Josh's willingness to step up and hit those threes uh, after he hadn't done much pri uh, prior to that, uh, those are really important plays. Yeah, the, the first one was a uh, was a no 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 yes for my for my couch because he you know it was it wasn't that it was a bad shot but Iowa had just hit a three right before that I think and he stepped into one on the break a little bit further out and I was I'm thinking to myself it wasn't a good shot it went in the second one was off a really good driving kick from um, Blackman and so um, I, yeah I just thought he made some really good plays even even late in the game really realized that you know he could take Bohannon when he was on him and did a nice job of driving under control. Uh, and doing things there. And then you, you kind of talked about hustle plays. There was one after IU, maybe it was around the peak of the lead, uh, a ball in the corner toward the Iowa bench, and he goes diving after it even up that much. And, you know, they kind of cut him from a, on the camera and just had a big smile on his face. And I think it was indicative of, one, the, the effort and intensity those guys played with, but also the fact that they were, for one of the first times in quite a while, seemed to be having fun while they were doing it. Yeah, no question about it. All right, so we want to talk a little bit more about James Blackman Jr. Uh, because his performance definitely uh, warrants it. We also need to talk a little bit more Robert Johnson, uh, Andy, because I think you had to be pretty proud of what he did. But sp specifically with Blackman, I've got a memory that I want to harken back to, and it's not going to be a real pleasant one, but I think it's important to bring some context to what we saw today. So that is coming up on the assembly call. First, I do want to take a quick minute and tell you why you should activate your free assembly call membership. Here are three quick reasons. Number one, it's quick and easy, and if you do it today, it guarantees that Indiana will win the Big Ten tournament. I, I don't know how. I'm just telling you it does, so you might want to sign up because we're all in this together. Assemblycall.com slash join. It takes you 15 seconds, and it guarantees Indiana wins the Big Ten tournament. What more compelling reasons could you need than that? But it's also how you get our best content because by joining, you'll receive our weekly six-banner Saturday IU Hoops News Roundup, uh, as well as our detailed post-game analysis emails. And number three, it's how you connect with us in the Assembly Call community because only members can access our moderated post-game live chat going on right now over at assemblycall.com slash live. I highly recommend you join that as well as our discussion forum. So if you like what you hear on the Assembly Call, especially right now after Ryan has to bolt early, and it's okay. You can tell us that you like the show better right now. It's quite all right. Uh, becoming a member is the next logical step. Join us for free at assemblycall.com slash join. All right, you are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris here celebrating Indiana's 20-plus point victory over the Iowa Hawkeyes in the Big Ten tournament with Andy Bottoms. And Andy, let's linger for a little bit on James Blackman Jr.'s performance. And let's linger on the positive before I bring up a memory uh, that is not going to be so positive. But, you know, I mentioned what he did at the start of the second half, really giving Indiana the momentum boost that they needed. The stat line is just sterling. I mean, 23 points, four assists, eight rebounds, a steal, only one turnover, was four or five from downtown, seven of nine. You know, sometimes James scores 23 points, but it takes him 15, 16, 17 shots. He was efficient. He was unselfish. I mean, this is James Blackman Jr. at his best. And I mean, it's it's so great to see him playing like this because this is the kind of basketball that he's capable of. 
yeah, I mean, to me, some of the passes he made, you know, he, he ended up le- being leading or being tied for the team lead in points, rebounds, and assists. So um, that's always always the makings of a pretty good night. But I just thought he really made some some nice and timely passes. And I'm not going to sit here and say there weren't a couple times when he hunted shots. Uh, and I think Doc had even referred to it on the game, like he just needed to get a shot up. Um, but but I really thought, you know, I mentioned the play to Newkirk, the kick out. He made some nice passes on the break. And I thought, by and large did not make selfish plays, which I think if there's things that we can look back on the season and get frustrated with him about, it's making plays that just seem selfish at the time. And I, and I didn't see that tonight. I thought he was, um, you know, a willing passer, uh, a, a somewhat willing defender, and he got some tough rebounds as well. Um, as you talked about with, with Newkirk. And so, um, you know, when he's really mixing it up there, uh, he, he's a really tough player to beat when he's that engaged uh, in all aspects of the game and not just focused on being a scorer, which we all, all know that he can do. So uh, hopefully that's something that, you know, he can he can carry forward into this next game because this was, uh, I thought, one of the one of the best all-around games he's played. Maybe not the most spectacular game. That, that might come to the Kansas game at the beginning of the year, but um, just from an all-around standpoint, I, I thought it was one of his better efforts that I can, uh, that I can recall. And I'll tell you, you know, one of the other games that you, that you put in the annals of James Blackman Jr.'s best games as a Hoosier actually came in his freshman year, first game of the Big Ten tournament, when Indiana went out and beat Northwestern, demolished them. Indiana won 71-56, really played well, and James was magnificent that night. He had 25 points, uh, he had six rebounds, seven assists, and I distinctly recall us coming on the postgame show and talking about his defense, because for whatever reason, like he just came out that night and was defending like a madman. And he might have been guarding Trey Demps because um, I know Demps, you know, only had four points that game, and Demps was a guy who had just killed Indiana uh, so often. And and it was yeah, one any, of those- any Northwestern game over the past eight years probably featured Trey Demps because that's how long he was there. So that's even about right. even this year's game somehow I think he scored ten points. In. I felt like he snuck onto the floor for a minute. <laughs> yeah, but it was such a great game from James, and it was one of those where you're like, hey. Maybe the light bulb's on. Maybe he's ready to kind of turn this around, play great both ways. Now, what happened the next game is Indiana played Maryland. And to be fair, that was a great Maryland team. They were 27 and five that year, you know, a really, really good team. And Indiana played them tough, 75 69. And Indiana probably wins if they get anything from James Blackman Jr., who on the heels of that 25 point effort had only six points was two of 12 from the field and was really just almost looked like a totally different guy. You didn't see the same defense. And so I bring that up. Look, we're all excited about this. We're going to celebrate this all night. And so I don't mean to splash cold water on it, but it is important to remember the context. And the context is this, you know, Indiana has struggled to put back-to-back games together in the Big Ten tournament. They've certainly struggled to do it this year. And in Big Ten tournament history, obviously doesn't matter nearly as much as this year's team. And that's been the issue this year is doing it consistently. And especially for a guy like James, you know, coming out and playing with this just tremendous mentality today, can he carry it into tomorrow? Because if he does, Indiana is going to have a really good chance to beat Wisconsin. But if he doesn't, you know, in a lot of ways, this Indiana team kind of follows his lead. I mean, think about Indiana's two best performances in Big Ten play. What immediately comes to mind? today and Michigan State, right? And what were the two keys to, to those games? I mean, James Blackman Jr. was outstanding. So Indiana needs him to be like he was today, tomorrow, and hopefully he can carry that momentum um, into that game tomorrow. I mean, I think, don't you think that that's going to be one of the most important keys for whether Indiana can win that game? Yeah, I mean, he has to. Wisconsin's going to try to take things away that IU wants to do, and when you get into a slower-paced game, which it likely will be, in situations where you're going to have late-in-the-shot-clock possessions, he's the guy that's going to probably end up with the ball in his hands, and, and can he create place for himself or for his teammates as he did a good job of doing tonight. All right. So here's something interesting. Let me get your thoughts on this. And we're going to break down more, you know, about Indiana's NCAA tournament chances. Uh, you know, how realistic are they, you know, given this win and given some of the other things that have happened, we'll talk about that more on tomorrow's radio show. But I do want to ask you this, because I just looked at Ken Palm, Indiana's up to 38. They entered the Ohio state game at 49th. And after those two victories have moved all the way up to 38. So clearly Ken Palm just looking for any excuse to uh, raise Indiana in the rankings. How much does that matter? I, it's hard to tell. So how's that for an answer? Um, it's, um, you, you know, I think, I think we've seen the committee has talked about using those things more, but there's not really been any clarity on exactly how, um, you can point to Wichita State last year and the fact that they got in as a as a nod to Ken Palm, although they had some injury concerns and some other you know kind of weird factors that 
you know, I think people were trying to use that same argument with Wichita State this year, who they didn't have the same injury, uh, you know, questions and, and guys missing from key games as they did a year ago. Um, but as you look at, um, you, you know, this year, I think they use it, but I don't know that it's a, uh, I don't know that it's a, a defining factor, certainly not in the 30s. If they were up in the teens, then it's probably a different, uh, you know, a different argument. But they, you know, they've talked about wanting to use more of those going forward. They've had, um, you know, Pomeroy himself and, and others in to kind of talk about how they might be able to redo some of these metrics like the RPI and, and things like that. But they've, there hasn't been any real clear direction. None of that has formally changed this year um, by any means. And, and so it's helpful, um, but I don't think a thing that, you know, elevates them a few spots on the seed list or anything like that. Let's talk about your boy, uh, Robert Johnson, who I thought was going to be one of the big keys to this game. He was great against Iowa the first time. He was obviously tremendous against Ohio State, and it's been so important for him to play well when Indiana plays well. And when you saw the way the game started, I don't think you could say anything but uh-oh, when he airballed that one-two pointer, where it's almost like he decided midair not to shoot it, then decided to shoot it. So he just like awkwardly pushed it toward the basket and it airballed. And then he was short on his two free throws which for a guy who has struggled with confidence at times shooting, that's about the worst thing that you can see. But again, to his credit, you know, I thought he was really effectively aggressive driving the ball. And, and we've talked about how he is not well suited to play a point guard role for Indiana because he's not always comfortable pushing the pace. But I thought he did a pretty good job of it today, picking his spots to drive, picking his spots to penetrate. And then he found a couple of open looks. And when Indiana went on that run in the middle of the first half, he knocked a couple of those down. And, you know, again, I thought that was important just to kind of lift that lid on the basket. This team, this program hasn't always shot well on neutral courts. And to see some of those early shots go down was really big. So not a game that jumps out on the stat sheet, you know, only eight points, but four assists, six boards, did have the four turnovers. But I also thought he played better than his numbers tonight. And I thought, especially early on, those shots that he made were important. Yeah, I was right there with you just in terms of seeing him miss those couple shots in the way that he missed them and in the free throws. It was concerning because, you know, he'd been so streaky and you kind of felt like maybe that Ohio State game would break him out of it. And then to see him start out the way that he did, like, well, maybe, maybe not so much. Um, but, uh, you know, I think um, it, it was good to see. And I think the thing that he really seemed to focus on in the second half, he only took one shot in the second half, really seemed to be more focused defensively on how he could slow down and, and kind of be more physical with Peter Jock. And, and I know Jock had mentioned on the broadcast that that seemed to really uh, bother Jock during the, over the course of the game. Uh, and, and, you know, he kind of got frustrated and, and being able to take him out of the game to a certain extent was really big. So I think, you know, the first half making those shots was a really, a really big contribution, but I think his defense in the second half was just as, if not more important as IU kind of broke the game open. And, and so another good performance for him and hopefully something he's able to build on because he's a guy who, you know, we talked about this so much that uh, early in the season, he was the most consistent guy. The one you could count on might not be spectacular, but he was going to be solid every game. Really got away from that. And hopefully, uh, I think we've thought this before in some of these other games where it seemed like, ah, maybe he's going to break out of it. But this is two straight solid games for him. Shot the ball well. Uh, and certainly a guy they're going to need again tomorrow against Wisconsin. You know, from a numbers perspective, just looking at some of the numbers that jump out, obviously Indiana scoring 1.24 points per possession is really good, and holding Iowa to just one point per possession is outstanding. You look at the turnovers, you know, 22%, uh, and that's not good. I mean, that's, you know, around where Indiana's been all season, but for that stretch in the second half when they were pr playing really well, and in the first half when they were playing really well, they didn't turn it over. And so I think... You know, Indiana's get, the Hoosiers will have to do a better job than that against Wisconsin, but it was at least nice to see in stretches, even if the overall number for the game isn't that impressive. This was an interesting game from the standpoint of rebounding because both teams really held their own on their own defensive glass. Neither team got much from an offensive rebounding perspective. Indiana, usually a team that's up in the 36, 37% range, they only got six offensive rebounds. Uh, and, and again, you know, usually they're able to do much more than that. But I thought the most important stat, obviously, 12 for 20 from three-point range, that's always going to be huge. I mean, there's just, you know, there, there's really no substitute for that. But Indiana getting 19 free throws to only 10 for Iowa. You know, and poor Iowa. I mean, they got so used to getting 40-plus free throws against us. They didn't tonight, you know, and Fran McCaffrey had to get a technical foul to, to make his opinion known. And we were all weeping for you, Fran. I mean, really. Um, but, but you know, look, obviously a part of that is Iowa's not playing at home because I think we all remember that game for some of the questionable foul calls. But more than that, it's the fact that Indiana was aggressive, got inside. You know, they they forced Iowa to foul them. They drew some fouls, and Indiana did a much better job 
of just being in the right spot. You know, someone asked us in our Q&A earlier this week, why does Indiana foul so much? You know, and part of it defensively is just being, you know, a half step slow mentally and, a, you know, a quarter step slow sometimes physically. And that gets you out of position. You're there a half step late. You're off balance. You're going to commit more fouls. And I thought today Indiana was in better position and was able to defend better without fouling. And that's huge for this team because this team can compensate for a bad turnover night, you know, and for with some other things not going their way when they're not giving up, you know, 10, 15 for a 10, 15 free throw advantage going the other way. So if Indiana is going to make any kind of run in this tournament or any tournament thereafter, you know, they don't need to hold a, a team to 10 free throws. I mean, that's pretty remarkable, but at least playing other teams, even at a minimum is really going to be important. And tonight, Indiana really dominated that category. Yeah, I think it I think it just speaks to the defensive effort that we we talked about and just the intensity and the attention to what was going on. I think there were a, a number of scenarios where the help defense was a lot better uh than it had been and they were able to, you know, create turnovers or block shots off of, you know, help side defense, which is not something we've seen very often at all from this team. And so just having uh guys be where they need to be uh off the ball. I was worried it was going to turn into the same thing when Jock drew a few fouls early in the game and I was like, here we go again. This guy's going to be parading to the foul line. But um thought they did a good job of of playing defense without fouling. And I think at a certain point I would just kind of start chucking up threes and things like that. One of the other things statistically and you you touched on this briefly uh was about how IU got the ball inside the way they wanted. IU scored uh 46 points in the paint. Wow. 36 points on three pointers and the other 13 from the line. There wasn't one point scored that wasn't in the paint <laughs> beyond the three point line or at the free throw line, which quite honestly, in the way basketball is played these days and the way IU wants to play is exactly what you want to do. Uh, you know, focus on, you know, high quality shots, uh, focus on three pointers if you're not getting the ball to the basket and uh, and figure out how you can get to the line. So uh, certainly I think IU's done this, you know, maybe a time or two where they had, you know, two points that run a mid range jumper, but this is. Uh, probably this year, the first time that that's really worked out. I think, you know, speaks well to what they were able to do. Uh, and 35 bench points is, is really big against the Iowa team that's pretty deep. Their bench was key in that first game uh, when McCaffrey benched everybody and, you know, really got a lot out of his bench. IU doubled him up on bench points, 35 to 17. So a little bit better than doubled him up. And, um, you know, all the freshmen had key contributions. Ryan touched on that where those guys really set the tone in the first half and then the, the veterans carried it home in the second. Hey, let's uh, let you know. You mentioned that. Let's take a moment to tip our caps to the coaching staff. Who I thought obviously had Indiana ready to play. I I thought Tom Crean, the moves that he made, just like Fran McCaffrey made some good moves with his bench in that first game that really helped. Uh, Tom Crean did it today, and you know I questioned some of them, like when he put Freddie McSwain in early in the second half and not Curtis Jones after Curtis had played well. I'm thinking, okay, why is Freddie in there? And Freddie coming in coincided with Indiana's big run, you know, and he played some good defense and did some good things. And, you know, I think one of the frustrating parts about this season and one of the reasons why Coach Green has gotten so much criticism is it just seems like there has been a big gap between what he's been saying and wanting the players to do and what they're actually doing. But what you just mentioned about the points, you know, points in the paint, three pointers and free throws, you know, nothing on long twos, any of that. It is. It shows how good the shot selection was and how well this team played to their game plan, minus some of the turnovers. But you know, you're going to live with some turnovers with the way Indiana plays offense. But I just thought this was a well-coached game overall for Indiana. And look, you know, if we've learned anything in the six years that we have been doing the show, you know, as soon as things feel like they're at their darkest, there's always something bright right around the corner. And as soon as things seem like they're at their best, some horrible event is going to happen. Some bad loss. And, you know, right now, I mean, Indiana reached kind of that low point in their season late in February, but they found a way to beat Northwestern. They went on the road and beat Ohio State, and now they won this game to win three out of four and kind of yanked themselves back from what was starting to look like it was going to be an abyss. And I don't know if it'll lead to an NCAA tournament berth, but and, and I'm not saying it changes my mind at all about what I think for the future of the program, but I do think it warrants some mention and a hat tip because this season could have really gotten away uh, and it's been nice to see the team bounce back and keep fighting here late and playing some of their best basketball here in early March. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you see in watching some of these conference tournaments is teams that are out of it just fold. Um, and and I think uh, you saw that a little bit yesterday with you know Ohio State to a certain extent. You know, they really didn't have uh, a ton to you know, maybe had a, a very, very outside chance at getting in and they end up going out and getting beat by Rutgers, who has definitely played better of late. You saw Illinois today get down uh, to Michigan and, and just kind of fade away. And, and you've certainly seen this in, in other conference tournaments as they've gone. And so I think it is 
um, to your point, you know, testament to these kids to, to do that. And I think, you know, you look and you say, you know, they, they've got nothing to lose in this tournament. There's no pressure on them. We've talked about how in some ways that's when Korean teams have played their best. Um, when you get to a point where little is expected and, and guys really bounce back. But I thought um, the point you made about the substitutions were uh, were interesting because I think I had some of the same questions that you did. I, I know, um, you know, Doc had mentioned that Curtis Jones had been playing really well in practice and um, was good to see because he was another guy. We talked about Robert Johnson a little bit. You know, Curtis Jones just looked lost in some of these games. And so for him to come out and, you know, uh, the Kansas version of Curtis Jones made a uh, made a return for for the night, uh, and even the Michigan State version where I thought he played well in that game, and uh, so I thought he did really well. And then yeah, the McSwain thing, I was like, this guy didn't play at all in the first half. Why are you bringing him in here? And they were plus twelve in the uh, those like six minutes that he was on the floor. So uh, while it's easy to criticize, uh, sometimes these guys probably do actually know more than we than we do. <laughs> yes, most of the time that is the case. There's no most of the time. Most yes. of the time, we got to give credit every now and again. Yes, we do. You know, and the thing on Jones. You know, he is an overlooked, important piece for this team. Because you mentioned the Michigan State game. Think about some of the games Indiana's played their best. They've gotten contributions from Curtis. Because when he can come in and provide you with six points, look, a lot of people thought this was going to be a close game, a three, four, five-point game. That can be the difference between winning and losing. When Indiana was up by three at halftime, they were ahead because Curtis Jones gave him six points. And normally, Curtis has come in, kind of run around, not looking like he's known what he's supposed to be doing and hasn't given Indiana much. And if we had gotten normal Curtis Jones tonight, Iowa's maybe up by a point or two at halftime. And that's important. And sometimes if you're going to make a, a run like this in the tournament, you know, you're going to need eight, nine, ten guys on your bench who can play, give you some positive contributions. Curtis did that tonight. Freddie McSwain did that tonight. Zach McRoberts, you know, for his part, came in and made a couple nice hustle plays tonight. That's what it will take for Indiana, not just to win tonight, but to have a good performance tomorrow, possibly win that. And then who knows what can happen in the weekend? We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But I think it's important. I mean, Indiana's biggest wins, Curtis Jones, has done some good things. I don't think that's a coincidence. And hopefully, haircut and all, he can come back tomorrow and have a similar performance. Um, you want to break? Let's break down Wisconsin next after the break. You want to do that? Yeah, we let's, should. Uh, we should talk. We should hit Devonte Green too when we come back. Uh, he's he's one we haven't talked about a lot. I thought he played really well. Okay, so let's talk about Devontae Green, and then we'll look ahead to IU, Wisconsin, uh, and continue pinching ourselves that Indiana played this well in the Big Ten tournament. That's coming up next on the Assembly Call. Uh, and hey, you know our last call, which is going to be coming up after we make those points, is brought to you by our friends at Yogi's Bar and Grill in Bloomington. And as I mentioned on Twitter earlier today, you know, go into Yogi's to watch the IU games, and you get 10% off your food bill. Just let them know that the Assembly Call sent you. Watch the game get 10% off, and then hang around afterwards and watch the Assembly Call IU postgame show because it's there on video. You can hear the audio, uh, and we'd love to have you watch us there from Yogi. So again, you get 10% off your food during the game. Let them know that the Assembly Call sent you. Uh, Yogi's is the place to go to watch the games. All right, last call, Devontae Green talk and IU Wisconsin talk coming up next. Stick with us. All right, you are listening to the Assembly Call IU postgame show. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms breaking down Indiana's 95-73 to victory over the Iowa Hawkeyes uh, today in the Big Ten tournament. Let's talk a little more Devontae Green, Andy. You know, I mentioned the awesome two-possession stretch that he had in the second half where he hit that really tough runner in the lane where he absorbed some contact, uh, made the shot. Then he had, you know, the beautiful crossover dribble, step-back three-pointer. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed that Indiana didn't give him a shot at the end of the first half because we've seen how good he's been at the end of first halves, but that's okay. Uh, but another solid effort from him, and it wasn't just the scoring. I thought rebounding-wise, he did a really nice job too. You know, five rebounds um, and defensively was good. And someone asked me before the game, you know, how does Indiana guard, you know, a guy like Peter Jock? And I said, well, maybe you put, you know, Devontae Green on him for a few possessions, but the point being, he's just a tough defender. And what he maybe lacks in height, he will make up for in grit and toughness and just, you know, and quickness as well. Uh, and I thought we saw a little bit of all of that today from Devontae. Yeah, I thought he, you know, there was a, a hustle play he made in the first half where everybody was just kind of waiting on the ball to go out of bounds. He went and ran it down, saved it over his head and and was able to, uh, I think, led to a basket for IU just, just by making effort plays, which I think is what you want from, uh, you know, from, from these freshmen. I think that's why they energized everybody so much. You know, Deron Davis came in. Uh, immediately scored scored a few baskets. You know, Devonte makes a, a hustle play. You know, Curtis Jones, you know, knocked down a three and 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 did some nice things as well. And so, 
you know, I, I really think he's a guy who is a potential tone setter defensively. And, and then, as you said, in the second half, made those couple key baskets, did a really nice job on that drive of, you know, really being under control, tried to initiate and draw some contact, but was still able to stay on balance and bank that shot in. Uh, there was another one that was just kind of a, a more wild shot that managed to bank its way in. And then that three-pointer that you mentioned, I, I thought he played uh, and, and has continued to play really well and to play really under control, uh, which is something that uh, this team has lacked. Uh, guys who could really, you know, make plays but but not get out of control. And so he had, you know, only had one assist, but just had one turnover uh, tonight and and was uh, in, in 20 minutes, was plus 15 on the, on the floor and scored 10 points and grabbed five rebounds. So that's pretty pretty efficient for uh for 20 minutes of action i think again as you as you just mentioned if i use going to continue to win games in this tournament they're going to need quality performances from everybody up and down the roster and uh, i think he's a guy you've started to feel more and more as the season went on that you could really trust and on a team with where we've you know lamented not being able to to know who you could expect what from on a night in night out basis i think he's turned into a guy where uh, i think you do really have a, a good handle on what you're going to get from him when he comes onto the floor so let's talk about Wisconsin. That is who Indiana plays tomorrow. I believe it's the third game, right? Uh, same tip, six thirty Eastern yeah, time. I think it's I think it's right about the same time, if not exactly the same time. Yep. So look, it, it, we know Tom Crean's record against Wisconsin. It's terrible. We know how much Wisconsin has dominated Indiana. So it's usually very hard to make a legitimate case for why Indiana can beat Wisconsin, especially when the game isn't at home. But when you look at it right now, you know, and you consider the fact that the last time Indiana played Wisconsin at Wisconsin, think back to the timing of that game. Everybody thought Indiana was going to get their doors blown off and the Hoosiers went up there. They only lost by five. They played pretty well. You know, they were in that game, just couldn't quite execute enough late to get over the hump. And, and so Indiana loses that game by five. You know, one game later, Wisconsin beats Nebraska. They're 21 and three, 10 and one in the conference, and they are absolutely rolling and looking as good playing as well you know, as a, as a Wisconsin team has in a while, you know, at least in terms of the wins. But there were some signs, actually, even at that time, that things were starting to wobble a little bit. You know, Rutgers took them to overtime. They needed overtime to beat Nebraska. And so since that point, when they were 21-3, and three, Wisconsin's only 2-5. and five, And they haven't won a game away from the Kohl Center since that overtime win over Nebraska. And so, you know, look, they, they maybe they got themselves right a little bit with that 17-point win over Minnesota to end the regular season, but this is not a Wisconsin team that's hitting on all cylinders. It, you know, and Indiana seems to be, you know, peaking in a sense at the right time. So you got one team going up, one team going down a little bit, you know, and hey, Wisconsin is 333rd in the country in free throw percentage at 64.4%, and that's one of the things Indiana does the worst is put teams on the free throw line. So maybe Wisconsin in a close game won't be able to take advantage quite as much. Um, point being, this does not, to me, feel like one of those Wisconsin games where Indiana's got to go play perfect and they've got to stub their toe. Like, I feel like Indiana and Wisconsin, th the records don't show it and their resumes are clearly quite different. But I feel like the two teams that will be coming on the court tomorrow, how they're playing, are actually pretty close. And I like Indiana's chances to play well. And if they can execute down the stretch, I think Indiana should have a good chance uh, to to get another win in the Big Ten tournament, am I crazy? Well, I mean, no, I don't guess so. I mean, if that Rob Wilson guy who had thirty points in one year strolls on the court, I'm just shutting the game off and I won't be on the post game show. So if that happens, yeah. all bets are off. But by the way, uh, a little more confidence when I ask you if I'm crazy. Yeah, okay. Like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I mean, there hasn't been one, no matter what the record is. I don't think there's been one IU Wisconsin game that you haven't talked yourself into. So I just, you know, it's what I do, man. At this point, I'm kind of numb to it. I can't really. I don't know okay, what but this time it's. I don't know what reaction what you want from me, but I, no, I think you know. I, I think the keys for me are can can Bryant and Davis play well together again? Because I think um, Davis certainly gave uh, Ethan Happ some trouble in, in the game at IU. And, and I think is a, is a matchup that really puts pressure on him to be able to, to do something. Now, the flip side of that is they have to find a way to defend Happ without getting called for fouls. The fact that this game will not be played at the Cole Center certainly helps that a little bit. But um, So I think IU does have, you know, if they can play Bryant and Davis together in stretches, uh, have the ability to to give them some trouble, and uh, it just becomes a matter at that point of you know can guys really step up and and continue the defensive intensity that they need to you know slow down Nigel Hayes if if they start running offense through him to uh, you know keep on Bronson Koenig and that's where you know Newkirk not getting into foul trouble uh, having you know Devonte Green be able to give minutes off the bench it becomes really key in in terms of putting pressure on the ball uh, and those kinds of things because odds are Robert Johnson may end up being the guy who who tries to guard. Uh, Nigel Hayes, uh, depending on what they want to do uh, 
defensively. So, um, but I, I agree. I mean, Wisconsin has not looked um, the same to me. They've been sloppy at times, which is not something that you would, you know, would consider uh, for them. And they've, they've given up a lot of points, quite frankly. Their defense hasn't been great. You know, in those games, you're losing to Ohio State at Ohio State. They give up 83 points in just a 62 possession game. They give up 84 points to Michigan State uh, on the road. And, um, you know, lost to Iowa at home in a game that was, you know, they really kind of gave away uh, at the end, but allowed Iowa to hang around. And, and Iowa, as we saw tonight, not a particularly good defensive team, but Iowa was really able to limit them on that end. So, um, y- you know, I, I do think there are reasons to feel more confident than uh, the numbers would probably indicate, just given that Wisconsin really has not played uh, particularly well down the stretch, um, even, you know, really dating back to uh, when they played uh, – really you can keep kind of keep going back i mean they you know rutgers really had them on the ropes ended up having to go to overtime didn't really feel like they played all that well against iu in the the second matchup at the cole center uh had to go to overtime to beat nebraska and that you mentioned in that stretch of games uh after that as you discussed they certainly um based on the pace that they play are not a team that's going to go kind of run away and hide uh in in theory from a, a a shooting standpoint and from a scoring standpoint so i think it can be a close game and uh, a chance for IU to show that they'll be able to execute down the stretch as they did in the Northwestern game. Yeah, and even as I've talked myself into confidence, I'll still have nightmares about Bronson Koenig tonight because this always seems to be the time of year when he steps up and hits big shots. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I think, and, uh, you know, I, I think there are things that we've seen from IU tonight, hopefully defensively, that they can, they can carry that forward. And there's something to be said for getting a little momentum in these games where, um, you know, you see that with with the team that's played the night before, the fatigue really starts to catch up with you. Games three, games four, um, but playing just in the second night of a back to back, I think you're you're able to see in some of these conference tournaments where guys are able to build confidence and carry that forward a game uh, versus the other team who's playing their first game is you know might be a little bit sluggish. So hopefully that uh, that helps IU as well get off to a get off to a good start. Look, and if all else fails, just get up by 30 points late in the second half, like Indiana was. Uh, they led 91 to 62, so by 29 at the under four-minute timeout. And I, I was kind of you know, laughing to myself. I was like, okay, what's the Big Ten tournament going to do now? Institute a 30-point shot for the final three minutes of this game? Because if things can go wrong in the Big Ten tournament, they do. But when you're up by 25 late, you know, you're pretty safe. You know, Luke Recker, Blake Hoffarber, and Cam Chapman can't make a shot to beat you. Uh, and I apologize for mentioning all of those names. Uh, although, on a, although on a thirty point leads, celebrating. Although, as you mentioned, thirty point leads. Apparently, Northwestern is currently on a thirty-one to zero run against Rutgers. So I don't know over what time period that run has taken place, but apparently that can be erased if given enough time and and the right situation. So, so the resurgence of Rutgers basketball has been greatly oh, overstated, over, is what you're it, saying. Well, it was over ten minutes, thirty-one to run in the last ten thirty-nine. That's oh my. Bad. Thirty-seven and nine during the in the one of the sh- shots that I'm just seeing on Twitter. So okay, all righty. Uh, well, w- what a fun night for Indiana again. The Hoosiers win by what was it? Twenty-two points, twenty-three points. Hoosiers win by twenty-two points. Just a 22. really a really good performance in a season that has been devoid of them. Uh, and it was fun to watch Indiana play. The Hoosiers looked like they were having fun. You know, look, I think a lot of us just kind of we always look at the Big Ten tournament as just you know this. <laughs> just this nothingness, this wasteland at the end of the Big Ten season in between uh, the NCAA tournament. At some point, Indiana is going to make a run in this tournament, even if it's just blind luck and the law of averages. So maybe it can be this year when Indiana really, really, really needs it to get themselves back into NCAA tournament consideration uh, or just to get the automatic bid. So it's only one game out of the four they would need to do that. But you've got to at least take that first step. And Indiana took it tonight. Let's go to our last call brought to us by Yogi's. Some final comments on this game before we wrap up, get some rest, because we've got a lot of Indiana basketball content to create tomorrow, Andy. So we need to be well rested. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> I've got I've got a bracket to blow up and put back together again, too. So <laughs> how do you how do you function in March? Like seriously. It's not great. I'm pretty much just trying to consume all of caffeine in the 30 mile radius from here and then just see what happens from there. Yeah, you got um, bracketology. We're doing the radio show tomorrow at like noon. And then you got a post game show tomorrow night. I mean, that is that's a heck yeah. of a schedule. Good, good times, good times abound. Good times. Um, now, I, you know, like I said, it just a lot of a lot of positives to take away from this game for IU. When it, even in some of the other, uh, you know, Ryan and I talked about this after the uh, after the Ohio State game. Yeah, they had played well. The starters played great, but the bench didn't do very much, and the defense was terrible. And 
Um, there were other reasons to not feel great about it. And I'm not going to say that the game tonight was perfect by any means, um, but nice to walk away from a game feeling good about a lot of different aspects of the team. And, um, you know, again, if you're going to make a run, you need to be able to rely on not just one thing and not just one guy, but a whole bunch of them. And I, I thought uh, tonight at least was a window into, you know, this team being able to do a lot of things well in a way that we just haven't seen uh, very often this year. And on the one hand, uh, it kind of makes you want to be pissed off about it because you're like, where has this been? Uh, on the other, I think we've seen enough this season to just feel like, let's just enjoy it, move on to tomorrow, hope that it can continue and and go forward from there. So, uh, you know, if ever this team was going to exercise demons in the Big Ten tournament, what better way to do it than against Wisconsin, who has uh, haunted our dreams for, for years, it feels like. So uh, maybe it's one of those things where everything just kind of comes together in the right way and uh, you can conquer a lot of things at once. So, uh, with that as backdrop, let's hope for another solid performance from IU tomorrow. And, and after that, we'll just see what happens. Yeah. I mean, look, this has been a season certainly in January and February that has been pretty much devoid of hope. And the irony, of course, is how much hope and optimism there was at the beginning of the year. So I suppose it is fitting that now here we sit on March 9th and, you know, Indiana's 18 and 14. This one win doesn't erase all the bad losses and Indiana's still in bad position for the NCAA tournament. And it's still, on the whole, been a very disappointing season. But at least we can kind of go to bed tonight and have some legitimate hopes, some thoughts. Hey, maybe this is the year Indiana can make a run. Maybe Indiana can beat Wisconsin. And it's just kind of nice to have that feeling again. So soak this up. Enjoy it for tonight. Obviously, if Indiana can play again like this and we get another win, we'll do it all again tomorrow and enjoy that too. But just enjoy a really nice win for your Indiana Hoosiers where they really played to their potential. They played as a team. They looked good. They looked together. Uh, they communicated. I mean, all the things that we've been wanting to see, they did. And it's so rewarding to watch the team like that. And that's been the biggest disappointment of this year is all of us believing that this was in that team. You know, it's not like we're all just like, well, this team stinks and we can't do anything. We're disappointed because that's all we were seeing. But we knew that there was more in there and we finally saw it tonight. And whether it's just, you know, something about Washington, D.C. and getting away from home or guys getting healthy or just, look, sometimes the random variance of shooting. And Indiana had some bad shooting nights and they're stacking some good ones together here late. Whatever it is, a great performance, one that should have us all excited uh, and certainly seems to. And let's do it again tomorrow. That's all we can say. All right. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Assembly Call IU Postgame Show. We will join you tomorrow immediately after Indiana, Wisconsin. That game begins at 6.30 Eastern time, uh, 5.30 Central time. And of course, in between now and then, we have another uh, podcast episode that'll come in your feed uh, and that you can listen to on the radio as we have another episode of Assembly Call Radio uh, coming out tomorrow as well. So lots of content, uh, lots of stuff to talk about, but it's so much more fun doing it after a 22-point victory than a loss. So we'll have fun and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.